that you didn't feel the diet, the diet failed. The diet was never going to work. So let's just put that out there. The diet it was wasn't never work. meant to work. It was never meant to work. It was never going to work. I don't care what little, what science they trotted out to you. I don't care what they tell you. All the other science that's available in humanity today tells us that diets don't work. So, you know, it's kind of that, and that was a shift I had to take too, was I didn't fail anything. The diet has failed me. So why am I still doing them? And that's a hard shift to make. You're listening to Now What? A podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, and welcome back to Now What? I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. Thank you for joining us for our last episode in our Body Acceptance Month. We are going to be joined by Jess today, who I reached out to and invited to be on the show when Jen and I decided to do this whole Body Acceptance Month. Um, We knew we wanted to hear from at least four women. We knew we wanted to hear from diverse voices. And so we reached out to some people and Jess was kind enough to say yes and agree to be on our show. So welcome, Jess. Welcome. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little fatigued. I was saying I was, I just flew back to Texas from New York. And so I'm a little tired. Uh, But besides that, I'm doing great. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm a freelance writer. I write mostly about, um, fashion and health and culture, uh, my words, and I always hate to use that term, my words have been in, but that's the only thing I think of saying it. Um, Teen Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, In Style, Health Magazine, a couple of places here and there. Uh, I, I really do write almost 100%, almost exclusively about marginalized people, so it's people of color, fat people, just people with disabilities, people living in situations that we don't see very often on the editorial spectrum. So mm-hmm. I'll do, although I do write about fashion, I really only want to write about fashion when it comes from people of color or is made for and by fat people or people in the large bodies. Love I also, it. thank you. It, may, it, makes it, it makes it a bit trickier than your normal fashion coverage, but I, I stand firm in what I write about. I also was in public relations for 10 years. No, I'm not. Um, I've survived that ordeal. And I'm chill. I'm a helicopter aunt. I have a seven-year-old nephew who I have got major attachment issues with. I have his birthday tattoo on my foot. Um, yeah, that's my little guy. And I move a lot. I'm from the Bay Area originally. I lived in London, DC, New York, just a lot of movement. And I, I don't know if I consider myself a body positivity advocate, but uh, if you ever come across any of my quote unquote platforms, that's almost all I talk about is living in your body, uh, accepting your body for the wonderful machine that it is and kind of dealing with our own internal and external influences of diet culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's how I found you on Instagram because I, Yay. we were looking for, I think body positivity stuff and I was searching hashtags and just trying to find people who we thought would be a good fit. And, and who were putting out content that like yeah. either resonated with us or, or what we were hoping to have people share about. I love how you are so firm in your niche because it's something that I think needs people to be like, no, I'm only going to talk about this. Oh yeah. It's a luxury. Um, I'll say. I'm sure. I yeah. Do, is, yeah. Because I, I do other writing a lot of when you freelance, a lot of you, you make your money based on what you can get in terms of assignments. But mm-hmm. yeah. because I worked uh, in the PR industry for so long, I have other writing skills. So I'm able to, I am able to be that firm morally. And I always like to say this because I have the luxury of being that firm with my, you know, with my niche, a lot of people who I know would probably love to focus just on kind of this kind of stuff, they kind of have to take what they can get in order to pay their bills. So I always say, yes, I'm very firm with my niche, but I also, that is a luxury and a privilege for sure. And I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what brought you to that being, you being in the, and why it is so important to you? Well, I grew up in a fat body. I've been various sizes my entire life. And for a long time, I was like everybody else. I mean, I really truly and honestly felt that my life wouldn't begin until I lost weight, until I lost weight multiple times and my life did not quote unquote begin 
all I did was spend my entire time. I was a small, I mean, I've been everything from a size 12 to a size 22. And every time I got down to like a size 12 or 14, I would just spend the entire, that entire time worrying and killing myself about being, going back up to a size 22, right? I didn't, I couldn't even enjoy it. Uh, I call it, I call it the diet culture hamster wheel. You don't even, even if you lose the weight, like it, you, it doesn't matter. You are still a slave to diet culture. And something that really led me to rad, uh, radical self-acceptance and fat and body liberation, um, which I always say now, I'm not really about body positivity anymore. And I can talk about that more later about why I kind of come to that realization in the past year or two. I'm really about radical body acceptance uh, and body neutrality. Um, and I got there for a couple reasons. One, I kind of just woke up when I'm, I'm telling you about a year ago, uh, I had been diagnosed with ADHD, which for a grown woman, I'm in my thirties, you know, I was having all these problems working. And for me as a freelancer, when I don't work, I don't get paid. Mm-hmm. So this was starting to impact my life negatively. And I had all these things that they don't tell you about having ADHD as a woman that I'm, I'm a psychologist. So I just think you have ADHD. And I was like, that's dumb. Like, I'm not hyperactive at all. I'm a grown active. <laughs> yeah, I'm not active at all. Like, I come out yeah. the couch all day. And they're like, yeah, that's called the time suck. Like, it's mm-hmm. time blindness is what it's called. ADHD, like, you sit down to do one thing. And then next thing you know, it's 24 hours later. That's time blindness. It's ADHD thing. And every little thing I would spit at him, he'd be like, yeah, that's ADHD. So that happened. And then he said, you know, some of the things he said, I would check with someone to see if you have binge eating disorder, because those are usually comorbidities. Comorbidities are when one or two things exist together as diseases or conditions. And so people, women with ADHD have propensity to also have binge eating disorder is because parts of our brains that control ADHD also control our compulsion and boom, bam, boom, turns out I'd have binge eating disorder this whole time. So on my journey to recover from that, I kind of woke up one day and was like, I never want to diet again. Uh, I didn't know what that meant. I just couldn't do it anymore. I could not get on another fucking diet. Like I <laughs> could not go through the process of, you know, the diet process. I think if you want to diet, you know what it is. You get excited. You start reading up about it. You buy all the diet food. You mm-hmm. get your prep. You get your hopes up. You have that one big last meal of all your favorites. And then a week later, you're back to being like, oh my God, I failed. Why did I fail? You know, you lost your first 10 pounds or your first 100 pounds. Um, whatever the case may be. And then you're kind of back to under, to beating yourself up about, you know, oh my God, why did I fail? Um, so I just couldn't do that anymore. I got yeah. to, I, I was exhausted. I've been on diets since I was like 15 years old. I'm fucking exhausted. And I, yeah, yeah up until that point, I dibble dabbled as like a, do- a body positivity blogger. And I really, really hated it. <laughs> um, I'm not <laughs> an influencer. Uh, it turns out I just don't have the chops for it. And I'd gotten into freelance writing. And I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. I didn't think it was possible. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, whatever you want to do, just do it. Um, Which is my motto in life. Whatever you want to do, just do it. So I just decided to become a writer. I started like reaching out to editors and they think I know I was in Teen Vogue. I was in health. I was in women's health. I, you know, people started reading what I wrote. Amazing. And yeah, it's been a great ride. It's been a really great ride. So yeah, that's where I got to. And I kind of was like, I don't really care about body positivity anymore because there's a lot of things within that community that are bullshit. And I kind of, when I got into binge eating disorder recovery, I started working in intuitive eating. So I worked with an intuitive eating coach and started talking about radical body acceptance and body neutrality and how your body is just, it's just a body. You don't have to put good or bad or it, assign anything to it. It's your body. It, it, it keeps going, it, you know, it keeps you going for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And I cannot spend the rest of my life hating it when it's doing so much for me. So that's where I got, that's how I got to where I got to. I, I woke up one day and so I just, I cannot die anymore. I can't do it anymore. I can't, I cannot spend the rest of my life hating my body and trying to wait for, it's exhausting, right? It, it's tiring. It's, it's exhausting physically, mentally, emotionally. I mean, as women, we spend so much energy. Decades of our lives. It's crazy. My mother-in-law, maybe I shouldn't say how old she is. Okay. Yeah, not if she listens. Not if she listens. But my husband says of his mother that she has been on a diet his entire life. His entire life. And I believe He's like, she's been in on and off diets. She's been doing the Weight Watchers, the this, the that, her entire life. Like his entire life, he always remembers that his mom was I call always it, doing that. Yeah. I call it multi-generational diet trauma 
because our mothers were on diets and their mothers were on diets and their mothers were on diets. And even if your mother doesn't put you and your father can play a part in it, especially for women from mother to daughter, it's, there's a huge influence there. And even if your mother, my mother didn't put me on diets when I was a kid. Um, she, she never did. She, it wasn't something she cared to do. And I didn't have a childhood where like I turned eight and my mother took me to Weight Watchers. That wasn't something that happened to me. We just released um, an episode where somebody, that was her story. Yeah. yeah. A lot of me, a lot of people I talked to, that's their story. I, I, I learned to hate my body from external factors, other people. My parents were very supportive and still are extremely supportive of me. But anyway, um, we learn these things from our mothers and I didn't watch my mother diet growing up, but every friend I have who who have been on, who've been on the diet journey with me. We also are dieting in college or whatever, but they all watch their mother's diet and their grandmother's diet. And I, I have a TikTok where I talk about diet culture sometimes and the comments will say, you know, I'm 51 or my mom is 60 and I've watched my mother diet her whole life. Yeah. And it's depressing as fuck to think, God damn it. I am, I'm 30, you know, 30 something now. And if I have to do 30 more years of hating myself, I don't think I'm going to make it. I, I oh. don't think I'm going to be able to expound this, this amount of energy on hating myself mm-hmm. um, for the next couple of decades. I don't think it's possible. And so that's what's really pushed me to anti-diet culture. I can't do it anymore. And I also love the piece that you said that so many people are, you know, they're spending decades of their lives dieting thinking Mm -hmm. that once they hit a certain weight, their life's going to begin. In the meantime, their life's actually passing them by. Passing them by. Yes. I would say, say, yes. Right? And the other thing Mm -hmm. that that I loved was like, when you were even at your smallest, you didn't enjoy it. Mm -mm. (laughs) Right? So you don't. Where does it end? Right. You know something I'll, I'll say like I think women if you're larger or you have or even if you're whatever weight you are I think we all see these quote-unquote naturally thin people and we think she never worries about weight I can tell you in all the years I've interviewed people talked to people just live my life most of 80 percent of these naturally thin people are are worried about their weight every second of the day like and they're, I have and they're not very, like naturally thin they're not that exactly and I say you can't see my fingers but naturally yeah. thin, quote unquote, yeah <laughs> They're not like they spend hours of their waking day worried about their weight. And so I always say like, if people can be naturally thin, how come I can't just be naturally fat? Like, yeah. how can be, this is just my body. Like, this is just, this is just what I look like. You know, I'm, I'm recovering from an eating disorder and I'm sorry if that means I'll just be fat. Like, I'm really not sorry, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. another thing is the thing about all the time we spend waiting like that is time we never get back ever. Yes. We never get that time back. And that's the scariest thing is thinking that, you know, I had somebody DM me the other day and she was like, she was like, I just want to tell you, I saw one of your videos and that makes me like a douchebag. Like I had somebody DM me, but that's, this is what happened. And, <laughs> um, and she was like, that's how we like, communicate now. That's how we communicate. She said, I, I've never done my wedding pictures before. She said, because I was fat because I'm fat. I never wanted to see them. This woman's been married for, you know, four or five years and she's never, they're sitting in a box somewhere because she hates her body. And you yeah. got to think to yourself like, God damn, like how many, how many times have you foregone something because you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not the right. I don't want them to see me like this. And I think that this is, is a really important topic as we think about post, there's no post pandemic, but let's just use that um, <laughs> post pandemic how many of us have like gained weight or our bodies have changed and how many people I've heard out of their own mouth say, well, I'm not going to go to that thing because no one's seen me since I gained my pandemic weight. And I kind of like, girl, we're living through an ap- the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> go and see your people. Go see your people. <laughs> go we see are, people. The, the earth is sliding into the ocean. Who fucking cares? If like, you we are see your people <laughs> after not having been able to see them for so long, you need to see them and hug them and let them think feel about, that there's some exactly. extra body in you. Are, but think about how it, how insidious diet culture is that you have been apart from the people you love for two fucking years. And because you put on weight, you're afraid to see them. And that is, in a nutshell, if I have a message, my message, 
diet culture is dangerous because of what it takes from us, not because of the little stupid shit like diet teas and shit. It's deeper than that. It takes our time, our energy, our experiences. It robs Mm -hmm. us of them. And these are things we are never going to get back. And that is my beef with diet culture, amongst many other things, scientifically. But that's my problem, my real problem with it. It it takes so much from us. And all we get in the end is we're 75 years old, still doing goddamn Atkins. (laughs) Yes. Going out and, you know, trailing the- And you still have like- you're 75 right. years old, still doing Atkins, and you still have the creepy skin and the wrinkles and all that other stuff. But right. so, but you're going to be happy because you're thin. But like, you're going to weigh yourself happy. every morning, and you're going to count your points. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's, it's crazy, and <laughs> it's terrifying. It's terrifying. But the 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 feminist in me is just like, it's all about trying to make yourself smaller. And yes, we're talking physically, but it yes. just feel it's a control thing, yep. and. It pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. It's about making yourself smaller and about making yourself palatable. Yeah. Like it's uh, making yourself as palatable. Now, mm-hmm. whether you think it's for the male gaze or you think it's for society, the two things are intrinsically linked because mm-hmm. um, we're in a patriarchal society. Yes. I'm just using a bunch of buzzwords at this point. Um, <laughs> they are <laughs> patriarchal society. Um, they are linked. We want to present a certain way to the world because we are told that as women, especially, this is how we gain entree to acceptability. Yes. So that's what all it is. We're just trying to be accepted. Um, and so even, even though I'm like all about radical body acceptance, I'm still not angry at people who are still in sort of on that hamster wheel because listen, we know for a fact, even though I've gone from a 12 to 22 and back again, when I was at that 12, I was treated a lot fucking better than I was at a size 22. So I will never begrudge anybody living in a marginalized body who want to get out of that situation. I never will. I'll never will because we know what it's like. We know we know what it's like to go from fat to, to thin and the way we're treated, the way we're, the way we're perceived, it's different. So even though I have this message, I hate using that term, um, this, this ideal of love your body, I understand if you don't. Society has told you not to. And when you do lose weight, you're treated totally, you're treated like a human being. So you're not the problem, you know? Well, and I think uh, one, uh, one of our other guests, she's like, it's a big jump from hating your body to loving your body. So oh, yeah. like, you have to find that in-between place. And then just the idea of, people that are still on the hamster wheel it's like so ingrained in us that even if you know that it's not serving you you don't know anything else it's so hard to break out of it right you know something's wrong but you don't know what's wrong because you've never been told that it's okay not to lose weight that is that is language you just don't hear anywhere no you don't hear it anywhere you do not hear anywhere it's okay if you don't lose weight you know um or a lot of people don't hear like, you know, diets don't work, right? And when I say things like that, uh, you know, I either get people who are like, I'm having an epiphany or get people who are like, you fat cow, shut up. <laughs> um, or the third people I get are the former, I call them former fatties. I lost weight. And I'm like, yeah, check back with me in five years, sis. Uh, <laughs> because science, <laughs> Yeah, but are you research, happy now? Did your life begin us, now that right, you lost that weight? Yeah, but also research tells us after five years, 80% of people will have gained all that weight back. And then some. After seven years, it's like ninety-two percent. After that, it's like ninety-nine percent. The I mean, even that's even people um, who've had weight loss surgery. <laughs> you do not escape it. Wow. You don't escape it. So, um, and that's because it, it's not about um, creating sustainable a sustainable life for yourself where you have no. a relationship with food. It's because it's about deprivation and um, restriction, and that's yeah. not sustainable. Nobody can sustain that. Nobody can sustain that. And, um, and if they do, because we, we do know people who live their life with those kind of restrictions. Um, if they do, it, it, it comes to me, I've always dealt at a very high mental health and emotional health price. And I'm not willing to pay that price. Not, I'm not willing to pay that price anymore. Yeah, no, I, I mean. Yeah, and I think it can be so hard to even see the way that it's impacting you when you're just like, as we said, like you're so ingrained and these messages are sent to us from a very early age about what makes us, as you said, palatable as women. Right. 
right? And so we we internalize those messages. Yeah. Well, even from like just saying, oh, wow, you look great. Even if you don't comment on somebody's weight, it's like the idea that what you look like has value. As a woman, yeah. As a woman, like, yeah. That's all, that, that, that is your, that, that is the most valuable thing. That's your number society. one. Yes. That's your calling card, right? As a woman. Yeah. And, um, and I always think to myself, like, you know, when most women do not look like supermodels, no. so yeah. who is setting those beauty standards? It certainly, it's definitely not women because most of us don't look like that, you know? So it's a lot to think about. I, I think that we, as women, like I said, we just want to be accepted. And I think a lot of us play into these, these really harmful societal mores just to get along just to try to you know snatch a piece of happiness for ourselves what we think happiness is mm-hmm. and in the end you, you end up like I said you kind of all end up the same way you're you're 50 or 60 years old or something or like I think about the generation before us who smoked because it kept you thin even after they yeah. knew in the 60s that smoking caused cancer my grandmother quit smoking in the 80s and she said the one thing she said, well, we knew cigarettes caused cancer in like the early seventies. They started telling us that everyone she knew though, kept smoking because when you, when you quit smoking, you gained weight. So all the women would just go back to smoking. It's because- a huge fear of people to quit smoking and yeah, the smoking helps weight. suppress your appetite. So, yep. you know, they think, oh, okay, yep. Going to stay thin. I'd rather smoke the cigarettes and have cancer. Yeah. Like because it's making <laughs> you sick, <laughs> right? Well, or it's but in the moment, in yeah. the moment, right? But even even if we do understand the long term repercussions of the things we're doing to stay thin, you kind of say to yourself, "Well, shit, is it worth it?" You know, it's like a Faustian bargain. Yeah, I don't know why I'm using all these SAT words, but it was the best <laughs> word I could think of at the moment. That was a good use of it, though. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's the writer in me. I just have a lot of words at the ready. To try to like yeah. stretch out my article, to try to stretch out my articles with, but yeah, you make this bargain where you kind of you know listen. I know if I eat a thousand calories a day for the next ten years, it is going to permanently ruin my body system. This is scientifically proven. Yep. But I'll be thin, so you kind of you know it's kind of a trade off that some yeah. people are willing to take. And if you can be thin, you can be happy. Right. Or healthy. And the other thing. We, yeah. Well, that's yes. the thing too. Like you were saying something before and I don't remember what it was now, but it just, we had a whole conversation a couple of weeks ago about women in the medical system, how all of our problems are either psychological or we have to lose weight. Yes. That was yep. Jen's story. Not me, Jen, another yep. Jen. Yeah. Um, yeah. You go to the doctor and Oh, doctors are fat folding as fuck, dude. It, you just need to lose weight. Yep. A big part of the conversation we had is just, yeah, mm-hmm. that the solution is you need to lose weight. And when I was in my 20s, well, even as a teenager, I suffered from endometriosis. And this came up a little bit in that conversation as well. But mm. I kept going to the doctor and complaining about that. And I was thin. And I remember he just looked at me. He's like, oh, you're fine. You're healthy. You're, you'll, you're fine. I said, do you think maybe like, cause I had done my own research and said, do you think maybe I should be concerned that this is endometriosis? He's like, no, 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 you're healthy. You're healthy. Like you can't tell if somebody has endometriosis by looking at them. You can't tell if someone's healthy by looking at them. What was he gauging? That he, right. Oh, you're healthy on. And I'm assuming it was my weight. Yeah. That he you know was like, what? well, she looks quote unquote healthy. Right. Um, right. Meanwhile, I was really suffering and yeah. I really did have endometriosis. Yeah. yeah. But well, it took me two years things. to get that diagnosed. Right. Because women's health, no matter what size you are, women's health is not taken seriously. Of course. Yes. Yes. But especially if you're in a bigger body. Especially if you're in a larger body. That's why things like PCOS and endometriosis are so Then the problem is just that you need to lose weight. Right, right, right. Because uh, if it doesn't concern men, it doesn't matter. That's why we don't, so we don't have a lot of research for PCOS or endometriosis because men don't have uteruses or uteri. Hmm. Yep. And <laughs> so that there is no, there's really no urgency to study and understand what happens in our uterus because men don't have them. It doesn't matter. Men got a uterus tomorrow, endometriosis will be wiped off the planet. Um, 
the other thing is it would i mean that that's it would it would probably be faster than they found a covid vaccine probably listen they would just be like let's get this taken care of now and the other thing is fat phobia medicine something i write about pretty frequently and i always tell the same joke when i talk to you about this um it's corny but it's true and you know a fat girl goes to a doctor and she goes you know my my arm hurts and he goes okay and she goes, what should I do? And he goes, well, you should, he said, you know, you just, and usually the joke is, well, don't bend your arm that way. You know, that old joke, like when yeah. I bend my arm like this, it hurts. Well, when you're fat, if, if I bend my arm like this, it hurts. And he goes, we'll lose weight then. So totally irrespective of whatever you come in for, it doesn't matter. You could come in for a gunshot wound. They will find some way to work your way into the conversation. It can be about anything, even though research shows us People living in large bodies, by and large, have the same mortality rate as people living in thin bodies, as long as they have access to the same standard of care. And they do not. Yes. We do not have access to the same levels of care. Mm-hmm. When you look at the research, it shows us that people living in large bodies, when they ever, whenever they go back with cadavers, they always find some undiagnosed comorbidity, or not comorbidity, some undiagnosed ailment that doctors were just like, well, I just didn't look because they were fat and they were dismissed of everything. Right. It it doesn't matter what else you have going on. It doesn't matter if you come in there and you're like, my eyes hurt. It's blood pressure because you're fat. My, I mean, they can explain everything away because you're fat. Right. You know? And so it's terrifying as a woman, as a black woman, as a fat black woman, it's absolutely Mm -hmm. terrifying to go. I wrote a whole story about how I didn't go to the doctor for years because what was the point? They weren't going to do anything for me. And I still somewhat Hold that belief, like I have to jump through hoops to be taken seriously. I have to be dying mm-hmm. to be taken. And even then, you know, for someone to say, okay, let's take this seriously. Let's take a look and see what's wrong with her. So, you know, I, I, medicine is fat phobic. Um, they've done lots of, lots of circumstantial research on it and surveys. Uh, there was a really good study I, when I was writing something last year about first-year medical students and something like 91% of them believed that patients should always be counted on weight loss, no matter what they were in for. And two problems with that. One, who the fuck asked you? Two, <laughs> doctors in the seven years they're in school to be, med- to be medical doctors get less than five hours of dietitian training or nutritional training. I mean, an hour. So who are they to be doing any so counseling? Tell you don't know anything. <laughs> so you know, at this point, I know more about macros than fucking doctors do. So you know, <laughs> I, you gotta take all that kind of shit with a grain of salt and realize that that's kind of the biggest thing that hits you in the face of the fat person. That it's not even just about like, oh my god, I can't wear cute clothes. It's like I'm fat and therefore I am not a human being to most people. Yes, most people just wish I wasn't there. They just wish I wasn't there or, or heaven forbid, they wish they don't become like me. And yes. when they inevitably do, because metabolism slows down, it happens to all of us, you guys. Oh, um, yes. It's their biggest fear in life. But, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I've been thriving and surviving. That's a new problem. I'm a new problem. And um, you, you have to realize that you're beating yourself up for something that's natural and Mm-hmm. you think to yourself like I'm spending all this fucking time beating myself up and for what because I'm fat oh well like well and our body like our bodies are meant to change oh for sure yeah you know and like that's just like life it shows the like life that you've lived not just that but our bodies just change and adapt as we get older yeah and especially you know, especially as we were talking earlier about older women who are still dieting who get more and more frustrated your body's not meant to just keep trying to lose weight as you get into your 50s, 40s, or 50s, or 60s. No. Your body's kind of just like, listen, lady, I'm preparing for her to be comfortable and to retire and to expound less energy because because your body senses that you're getting a little older. So, you know, to put your body through that kind of stress to be thin. Listen, lady, I'm 50. I don't know the fuck what any people think about me. <laughs> I am living my life. Okay, God, God willing, I make it to 50, 55. I don't get, I do not come up to me. Nothing shit about no health food, girl. Leave me alone. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just out here living my life. And so many, alive. so many people aren't. And so many people are feeling held back and holding right. themselves back from living full lives because they're worried about 
their right. appearance or they're worried about their food. Right. Or and think of how depressing that is as a woman. Right. You've raised children. You've put kids through college. You've done all this. You know, and you're obsessing you put, about what your body and you're looks like. Obsessing about your way. You've made, you've made productive citizens of society, and look what you're thanked with. Mm-hmm. You know that's depressing. Yeah. That's so depressing to me. I think about it quite often. And you're going to fixate on the two pounds that you gained yesterday. <laughs> like, I know. Isn't it funny how the media, like, well, you'll see TVs and shows, and the characters will be like, "Oh my god, I gained three pounds." I always thought when I was a kid, when I said, I'd be like, how the fuck does she know she gained three pounds? What the fuck? Like, I always think to myself, how do you know, you see movies and TV shows and they obsess over these like random small amounts of weight. Mm-hmm. And I'd always think to myself, how the fuck did she know that? Like, I don't know. I don't know how much I weigh at any given moment. Like, how do well, you but, know? Then but then I think, well, uh, there, speaking of TV shows, there's that one show on Prime, um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where the main character weighs and measures herself every single day. Yeah, so that was the thing. Once I got into see my serious diet diet culture where I weighed myself every day for like three years straight. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, that's how they knew because I weighed myself every morning for three years and it was awful. And most diets have that as one of their components that you need to weigh yourself every day. Right. But like your weight is also naturally meant to fluctuate every day. Based right. on when you like poop for Christ's sake. <laughs> right. <laughs> or right. I mean, there's so many variables that go into that. Right. Yeah. Even just going through your menstrual cycle. Yes. When that number doesn't go down every single day, they're beating themselves up about it and then punishing themselves. Right. You know, so now they they have you to don't do eat. some exercise or they don't right. eat or they're punishing themselves for whatever their body happens to be retaining a little more water that day or whatever it may be. Right. Or you, or you did gain weight and that's okay too. Like there, there was like a trend on social media a couple months ago where it was like, they were talking about, we all have our little upper body pouch or little fat pouch down here. Yep. And the women were well-meaning as they as well-meaning as thin white women can be um and I guess they were like kind of like this pouch is like oh they're just your organs okay sometimes bitches just fat and get over it like <laughs> I don't have to explain your body to thousands of people who the fuck cares like if it is fat what are you gonna do fight you who cares your body uh, your, your body's a, a body maybe you have some fat there maybe you have some fat on your back maybe you have jiggly arms yeah and you know at the same time I, I realized as more people have reached out to me on various social media networks, I've started like practicing, I call it gentle body acceptance, where it's kind of like, yes, radical body acceptance. Yes, I want you to accept your body. However, we're all at different places on this journey and me screaming at you to accept your food every five minutes isn't helping the situation. No. So I, I've always said, I, I, I say now like, hey, Everyone has days where we just don't like a part of our body. That is normal and natural. Um, but I, which is slided to my issue with body acceptance. Uh, I mean, body positivity. This idea that I have to be positive all the time about my body is bullshit. Like, cause I'm not, nobody is. That's not normal. Um, and this, this idea that like, oh my God, let your fupa be free. Let your fat this and that. Listen, we're not all excited to do that all the time. So sometimes you know, it doesn't feel good to do that. Sometimes it doesn't feel good to do that. And I just don't think enough people in the body positive community take that into consideration or care to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because the body positive community by and large is now run by people who are size 14 and who are white or nearly white. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, let me tell you something. Of course, body, what's acceptable in society varies and changes, but I promise you, a white 20 year old woman who's a size 14 is not having the same experience as a black size 26 woman she's not she's not and my issue with that is the women in the former category take absolutely no opportunity to learn about women in later category but pretend to make content for them Mm -hmm. so when you consume that shit it is not made for you it's not made for the people that they're claiming it's made for Right. And so you, you're worse, you're worse off than the other people, than the other, than the non-body positive people, because you're claiming to be body positive, 
well, you're just talking about people who look like you. And that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's forced me to move heavily away from body positivity because it's not a community made for people who look like me anymore. So like the fact that people who look like me made this community. But I mean, it was because it was because people like me who look like me made this community. Yeah. But um, capitalism mm-hmm. and now every body positive, uh, you know, influencer at the top of every print at the top of every page, a white size 10 to 14, that, that don't have shit to do with me, girl. <laughs> I don't care about that. I'm, you know, I've gotten a lot of heat about saying that I said it in several like TikToks that have randomly gone viral. I, I don't give a shit, girl. Like, that has nothing to do with me. You and whatever body images issues you've made up have nothing to do with the community I am a part of. So, and you know, there's also the piece I think you touched on with, you know, body positivity, I guess, versus the body neutrality, I think yeah. is the term. Is that, yeah, some days maybe you're not going to feel great about your body. And sometimes with body positivity, it's they're not putting that out there as like a normal part of just a woman's life. Right. Like you have to be positive all the time. Right. It li- lines right up with toxic positivity. Yeah. It's toxic. It's toxic yeah. positivity. It's like an like arm of it. Yeah. 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 You have to be positive. About- and nobody's positive about their body all the time. That's ridiculous. Maybe some days you feel really cute. Maybe some days you don't. <laughs> You just want to wear your cozies and lay in bed and like not have anyone look at you. Right. We all, you know, we're allowed. You should be allowed to kind of be like, I hit my body today. That is, that's a real feeling. You are allowed to have that feeling. You don't have to feel positive all the fucking time. So yeah, I think a lot of times it is very toxic to be constantly telling people like, be positive, be positive. No, just be real. Just, you know, get on this, when you get on the journey of body acceptance, you will, it's like a hill. It's not like a straight up to the top it's a some days it's high some days I'm low but um as long as you are making an effort every day to look at your body and say you know this body is carrying me you know and that's something I've had to I had to say to myself as I've gained weight after during the pandemic you know I have to look at myself in the mirror and honestly say listen this body is, has carried me through two years of a global pandemic 30 something years it's carried me through an MBA. It's carried me through um, multiple moves. I bought a house. I sold a house. I, it's, this body has carried me through everything. So I've got to give it and myself a little grace. I have yeah. to. It doesn't mean I have to be, oh my God, I love my role. Um, but I have to give myself some fucking grace. And not be so hard on my body. It's doing its best, you know. I agree with all of what you just said. I mean, we all have those days where it's like you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, that's it's one of those. Right. And I personally work really hard to be like, this body carried me on adventures <laughs> and having babies and, you know, parenting by myself through a pandemic, like right. depression, anxiety, all of it if I didn't put on weight, then I probably wouldn't still be here because, exactly. you know, like there's no two ways about that. Going back to what you were saying about like how the body positivity movement has, it's, you know, white or white passing women, size 10 to 14. Like, first of all, how can that be body positive when they can go to any normal store and shop? Right. First oh, of yeah. all. And and then secondly, putting this idea that you have to be positive about your body all the time on to a community that in every in any other space is being told that they're not good enough or they're not right. You know, like right. how can you be po- how how is that possible? Like mentally, how could that even work for you for right. somebody to be positive about like it's just not it doesn't even make any sense. Forget right. like right. how it's been co-opted or anything. Every part of society is not made for you and you're, but you're supposed to love your mm-hmm. body and, and like love your roles. It just right. doesn't, I, that, I mean. Every, no. Right. And I feel like at this point I've moved past like, oh my God, be, love your body to like, how do we create change so that fat people are treated like human beings? Yes. How do we make it so you get adequate medical treatment with people, with doctors who don't discriminate against you? Or how do you ensure that you get the same pay and job opportunities as everybody else because fat people are perceived as lazy they're really like a ribbon on top the bow on top of all the bullshit is there are more fat people than thin people 
yes. at this juncture. So like, yeah. why? So like, <laughs> how are especially you all the US. against your own people? I know, right. especially in the U.S. And the rest of the world is going the same way. Like, I know we like to pretend like America is just like that. But no, um, it's not just the U.S. I it's say not that just the U.S. No, but it's living in Canada. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you know, I always say that because I think people are like people in America are so fat. It's like, well, I've been, I've been around. You know, you guys are fat too. Um, but you know, I, I always think that you know, who, who's doing What's discrimination the- here? Because everyone here is fat. <laughs> you guys are all discriminated against each yeah. other, or yeah. at some point, I have to start looking around and going, who is keeping this in motion? Who's keeping these the same these same uh, yeah. principles and ideals in motion? And but what's the driving factor? Do like, you what do you? An what's the point? Yeah. No, I don't. Oh, yeah. I, part of it is white supremacy. Unfortunately, like, unfortunately, yes. Yes. that's always. If you ever play like discrimination bingo, one of the answers is one yes. or half of all the answers is white supremacy. Well, we were leading into that and in talking about the fact that the body positivity yeah. movement is is now. Oh yeah right like it just is yes yes and it's so funny because i said earlier capitalism and of course what happened is body positivity became a marketable trait and people who because i was in pr for years people who hire these people they are white little white girls named britney and they only want to hire other white girls named britney so so it just so happens that when you started being able to make money off of body positivity all they would hire were white women. And that's how we got to where we are today. Uh, and when it comes to who keeps these systems in place, it's white supremacy because being thin and small yep. and petite are all characteristics and traits that white men value in white women. Mm-hmm. So it is white men value that look and white women value that look because of the social currency it provides. And the rest of us are forced to deal with that power dynamic. Yeah, I don't give and, you know, I hate to sound this way, but I don't give a lot of grace to a lot of white women because if anyone can change the system, it's fucking you. But you just don't want to. Mm-hmm. I yes. can't change that system. Mm-hmm. I have no voice in this system. I am doing, I'm surviving. I'm a fucking fat black woman. I'm surviving. You have the opportunity to change the system. You raise the people who become these white men, not yeah. me. So mm-hmm. I don't give very much grace because you want to keep the system going, whether you, whether you know it consciously or subconsciously, whatever you get out of this equation is worth enough to you to keep the rest of us down. Yeah. So yeah. no, I don't care how you feel. I don't give a shit. The rest people, of us have to deal with your bullshit. And, and you people have find that so offensive. Oh, they do. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I feel like this can maybe maybe circles back because I think it relates with like to the idea of capitalism, um, not only from in like the influencer sphere, but when we touched on before we started recording about like Noom and Weight Watchers and stuff like oh, that. Because yeah. those are, you know, as a result of a white supremacist capitalist society. Yeah. I mean, do you see it? New- so who did it? A bustle did a um an article on Noom and Noom made out like bandits during the pandemic. Yeah. Like they made, they made and raised so much capital. They had $400 million in revenue in 2020, which is twice of the revenue they made in 2019. They honed in on people's insecurities around gaining weight during a global pandemic. It cashed out. And that's why fuck Noom. Fuck Noom. They, this whole thing, we're going to diet. They even celebrated National Non-Diet Day on their social media. How and dare you? I think they try to push, put themselves out there like they're not a diet. We use psychology. And they almost try to make it sound like it's going to be about intuitive eating. And there is a little bit of that in it. But it's also log your food, log your weight. Like categorize your food. Categ- oh yeah, good food, bad food, one hundred percent. They're not good and bad. They're red and green. You know, right? Because none of us know what that means. Of course, we know what that right. And there's yellow foods too. <laughs> right, and that's my that's my problem with Noom. I fucking hate Noom. Uh, this whole idea, like, oh, 
you know, we're not a diet. We're your, your, your friends. Like, no, you're a diet. If I have to, if I have to log my food anywhere, the only time I've logged my food my whole life where it wasn't a diet has been as a part of ED recovery. Everyone on El Noom ain't recovering from fucking ED. So it's a diet. They're perpetuating it. Right. I only do that to, yes. Oh my God. The, it's, eating, it's an eating disorder gateway, which is why I want them to come out and say they're a diet. Because if you are a chronic or lifelong dieter or someone recovering from restrictive eating disorder, you are telling people you're not a diet. You are doing active harm to people. Well, yeah, you're and telling them that it's harm. okay to use them or sign up with them if they're not a diet. Yes. And somebody who's recovering from restricted ED needs to be made aware of what they're getting themselves into because you're doing the same shit that any diet does. I mean, counting calories, categorizing food, logging your weight. These are all diet behaviors. And so I definitely hate Noom. I mean, I'm not, I'm not quiet about it or, you know, I don't hide it. Uh, I, I will tell anyone, anybody who listens, Noom is a piece of shit. Noom and Jillian Michaels are on my list. Oh, it will always be on my list. Oh yeah. Fuck Jillian Michaels. <laughs> Super fuck Jillian Michaels and everyone who was on the production staff of The Biggest Loser. <laughs> I don't know enough about Jillian Michaels to be honest. Well, so she I was, think it was like, was it pre-pandemic that she did that IGTV? Yes, she was, oh gosh, she's talking about Lizzo. She's talking about Lizzo. Oh no, not that one. I, but she was blasting intuitive eating. No, I didn't see that. Oh, you I didn't see that? Because I follow from my psyche. I thought, fo- <laughs> well, I only, I don't follow her, but I follow an intuitive eating coach here in Toronto who she did like a response to it. Like yeah, side by side. And it was like, she's yeah. So full of shit. And then when you learn that all those people on The Biggest Loser, the first iteration of The Biggest Loser, they circled back and did testing on them and their metabolisms are permanently fucked up. I mean, The Biggest Loser was on the air in what, early 2000s? Yep. And in 2016, I think, they did testing on some of the former contestants and their metabolisms are permanently fucked forever. They have ruined their body's ability to properly process energy. That's crazy. And then they gained all the weight back. So you fucked your body and you're still fat. (laughs) So it wouldn't be any better if you weren't fat. But can you imagine you starved yourself for eight months, you, your body's shot to death. Your, your ability to process energy is shot. It's gone. And you're fat, you know? I yeah. just think that would just, that would be my 13th reason. Like, I know that I'm so fucking fat. I would just, you know, it's just, I don't know what I would do. I would be so upset. I don't want, I don't know what I would do. I would just, I would, I would kick Gillian Michael's ass. That's the first thing I would do. Um, <laughs> and Bob, the, the other, the other trainer, Bob. He was my neighbor. Um, he lived in my building in LA. Yeah, he was my neighbor. Bob too. Except Bob, Bob doesn't say crazy stuff, but like fuck him too. And the doctor, they have a doctor guy on there. That's not a doctor. <laughs> There's I mean, I mean, yeah. it must... the guy, the guy, the, the ball headed guy. Like, no, I know, like, I know. I'm like, he, no, you're not a real doctor. You might, there's no way possible he could have, no. he like, like a doctor, Phil doctor. There's yeah. no way possible you saw that they were doing to those people. And you were like, this is medically sound. There's no way the, the, the state board should have been like, yoink, what are you doing? You know, your so, MD yeah. is taken. And that show more MD, wildly popular. Wildly popular. It was. Yeah. And then, you know, they tried to reboot it. And, you know, people were like, no, thank you. <laughs> well, no. speaking about trying to like reboot it and, and even the way Numa's marketing itself, Weight Watchers is now WW. WW, yeah. Because of all of this pushback now of people being like, you know, no, I don't want to participate in this or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy. I get, a, I, I've gotten a couple of like brands who are like, do you want to, no, I don't want to talk about it. No, I don't. Um, and I, sometimes I'll see like influencers or other people who claim to be body positive and they'll be like working with like certain brands. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, I don't think that's what, that's what we're talking really about align. anymore. It doesn't yeah. align. It doesn't make sense. Um, when it comes down to it, I, for me, Noom just is lying. Like, that's, that's really my biggest problem with them. The, the deceptive marketing, they're lying. They're not telling the truth. If you're a diet, you're a diet. And if you have to lie to people to get them to join your program, then it's probably a shitty program. 
And they have just made out like bandits during this, during the pandemic. They have, they upped their marketing heavily um, and preying on people's greatest fears of their bodies changing during a global pandemic that's killed millions and made out with $400 million. Yeah. And completely just taking advantage of people. Taking just these tech companies have to differentiate themselves in some way because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're all trying and to there's get- so much money out there to be made. So much. So much. Yeah. And it's my nutritionist, it's great, it's wonderful. We were talking about diets, and she said, Well, she said, Well, if they worked, everyone would be a one-time customer. So why the fuck would they make them so they worked? And why would there be so many of them if they were? Right. Like everyone would be at, Jeannie Craig would have had a business 30 years ago. Because yeah. if they worked, you'd go on Jeannie Craig once and then poof, your problem would be fixed. Right. But well, that doesn't, that doesn't help keep Jeannie Craig and Jeannie dollars. I don't know what Jeannie Craig does. Um, but you know, there's, there's yeah, money. I think the message that is sent is that you, the consumer are the problem. Yes. That you yeah. have failed, that you haven't done it right, that you must not have followed it, that your something is intrinsically wrong with you if this diet didn't work for you. Right. Really, the diet's not actually really meant to work. Right. That's the thing. There, you know, it's like changing your perspective that you didn't fail the diet. The diet failed. The diet was never gonna work. Let's just put that out there. The diet it was wasn't never work. meant to work. It was never meant to work. It was never going to work. I don't care what little, what science they trotted out to you. I don't care what they tell you. All the other science that's available in humanity today tells us that diets don't work. So, you know, it's kind of, that, and that was a shift I had to take too, was I didn't fail anything. The diet has failed me. So why am I still doing them? And that's a hard shift to make. You know, if you've been dieting for 10, 15 years, waking up one day and saying, I'm not going to diet anymore. That's a hard thing. That's been a mind fuck for me. Because it was such Um, a big part of your life. It was a huge part of my life. I have gone back and forth and there have been a few periods in my life where I've like really consciously like modified how I eat. Typically it's more like I, I move, you know, I've just been fortunate that I've been, I never felt small enough, but smaller. And I don't remember when it was in the last few years, but I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Like I can't, I like food. I'm not going to change the way I eat. I'm not going to be super restrictive about it. And I weighed myself for the first time in a long time in May. And it was the highest number I've ever seen. And it took a lot for me not to like want to start modifying how I was eating because I was just like yeah. horrified, which I hate, but it is, it's, it is, it's a mind fuck because we are programmed to spend so much time and energy trying to do this. And I think about my one girlfriend who, when we first locked down, she was like, she goes, I'm just going to get fat and sassy in the pandemic. And her husband was with her on it. And then all of a sudden he, he wasn't. And she's like, that's cool. She goes, I've spent my whole life thinking about what I'm eating. I'm not doing it right now. Right. <laughs> right. You Why wanna, should we? You want to go lose weight because on a man, it's going to come off in like, you know, two runs. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I've spent so much of my life worrying about exactly what my body looks like that I'm not doing it anymore. Right. Um, it's funny because men, the funny thing about men is, the weight comes off so easily until they feel like 40 yeah. and it never comes off again. Nope. Oh, <laughs> and God, then all no. of a sudden, And then all of a sudden, I always find this hilarious. Then all of a sudden the media pushes like the dad bod and it's not nowhere received nowhere near the same as the woman, the post mom body. No one tells men to snap back. No one ever, no one's like, oh, get your dad, your dad bod. Like here's 10 ways to work off your dad. Bod. I never see, I see dad bod. Like it's your dad bod. Like, you know, or you see, um shows that depict like the fat middle aged husband and the thin trim wife the, i call it the king of the king of queens effect yes have you ever yes, seen that show yes or the simpsons or family guy or <laughs> almost any all show of them. Every- all of them yes that it, it it shows us that yes as men get older it is totally okay for them to get a spare tire 
but heaven fucking forbid Marge Simpson has been above a size four in 30 fucking years, despite the fact that she has a lazy, (laughs) and a lazy fat louse of a husband who can't even have a, they can't even have an emergency savings. I would be fat. Like I'm trying to keep my family afloat. I don't give a fuck about how skinny I am, you know? So there's just so many messages we get as women that tell us like, it's just not okay to be fat. It's not okay to be fat. And I'm just here to tell you, it's okay to be whatever the fuck you want to be. (laughs) It's okay to to do what you need to do to protect your mental and emotional health. If that means you're going to be a fat, a little fat or a lot of fat, then listen, do it, do it. And I know that's a huge piece because the mental toll and the weight that women carry because they're, I'm saying the weight, but like the, the mental, mental weight. Load. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're thinking about their weight and their bodies. Um, is I, is it worth it? That trade-off for their mental health to try to kill themselves to meet whose standards, like who's setting right. the standards anyways, we know who's setting them, but like, right. Exactly. Why, why, why are we, why do they them, matter to you? Why are we letting them set them? Yeah. Right. And so this is the big question. How do we fight this? Well, you have to eat a little piece of cake every day and get it a little bit fatter. No, um, <laughs> yes, sign me up. Every, sign me up. <laughs> every day, get it a little bit fatter. And if enough of us get fat enough, no, um, we'll just, <laughs> we'll, we'll just sit on them all. We'll just yeah. Well, eventually, well, well, you know what I always say? Like when the apocalypse comes, I can go without food much longer because I've got a lot of fat stores. A lot of you other people are not going to make it. I'm going to be fine, though. No, um, <laughs> the first thing I say is realizing that it's not going to happen. It's not going to be like one day you're going to be like, I am a fucking body acceptance radical warrior. And all of a sudden, you're going to love everything about yourself. That's just not going to ever happen. And I don't want people to go through life like being like, oh, I don't love my body yet. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not a real thing. So temporary expectations would be the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing is realizing that uh, you have to unlearn a lot of internalized fat phobia. And this is a part of the equation that a lot of the fat girls are not picking up these days. Uh, I see so much rampant internalized fat phobia um, that I'm like, um, sis, are you as body positive as you say you are? Because it seems to me like you hate people who are fatter than you. You have to deal with your own internalized fat phobia because whether you're 15 or 52, you've probably hated your own body this whole time. And because you hate your own body, chances are you probably hate other fat people too. Even if you don't want to come out and say it, um, your fat phobia is not just, it's inside of you too. You have to deal with that. I see so much internalized fat phobia. You cannot possibly be body positive and hate people who are fatter than you. That's not possible. I'm sorry. Like it's not, that's not how it works. Um, so that's something that that's a journey that takes a long time. Like being able to deal with your own internalized fat phobia takes a lot of unlearning and that is a long-term journey. Yeah. And the other thing is, realizing, like we said earlier, every day is not going to be sunshines and unicorn farts. And you're going to be gung-ho about your roles every single day. That's fine. Don't, don't, don't feel bad about having those days. In the beginning, you will have more of those days. You will. If you turn to intuitive eating, there is, uh, intuitive eating is, you know, a style, but it's also a book written by these two women. Um, And in the beginning, you are supposed to eat whatever you want to your heart's content. What happens when you eat, you gain weight. And the people who created intuiting, they say, you cannot, you have to stop worrying about gaining weight. As you're going through this journey on intuitive eating, you have to stop worrying about gaining weight because that is just going to pull you back onto, into diet culture. Um, and so as you're kind of going through this journey of body acceptance, you kind of have to say, listen, there are going to be times where I put on weight. There are going to be times where I feel like I am want to fall back into restricted eating. Um, and of course, if, if you have access to work with a professional, but also kind of realizing that, you know, you have to accept your body at whatever stage it's in. And I also, and I wish I could touch on this more and we're wrapping up, but I also feel like this, this um, applies so heavily to people li- living with disabilities. 
that's a part of body acceptance culture we don't talk about enough at all yeah. is people who are living with like chronic disabilities or living with disabled bodies who also have a huge part in the body acceptance and body positivity community that we should talk about much more because they also have days where they are they don't necessarily love their bodies because their bodies can't perform certain functions mm-hmm. and so we all have these days and realizing that I will have those days do does that mean I'm going to beat myself up and be upset yes but at the end of that if you could say you know what I had that moment I'm going to work on it some more I'm going to keep trying to love my body for all the great things it does for me then that's when you're on that journey but mm-hmm. none of that journey can start unless you start confronting the way you feel about fatness and the way you feel about disabled bodies and you cannot and I cannot stress this enough because it's something that I just see way too much of you cannot hate other fat bodies or other disabled bodies and be on a, a, a body positive or body acceptance journey it's just not possible it's mm-hmm. not and those those messages that we've we've internalized they're so deep and i think they can be hard to recognize those those thoughts that you're mm-hmm. having um, cause sometimes it's as simple as that. Like, what are the thoughts that go through your mind when you see another fat woman? Yep. Um, and like just questioning those beliefs that you have inside is, yeah. I think it can be hard to, to recognize and to admit those and to like, yeah, work on changing it. I would say like there are two litmus tests. I always say like, one is if you, I, I noticed it was older fat women, who will be like, I would never wear that. You know, you can see like all of the younger fatties always call them like, you know, they dress more, they're more open. They dress the way they want to, you know, crop tops and short shorts. And I see a lot of older fat women who are like, well, I don't mind that you're fat. I just don't dress like that. Then you do mind that she's fat because it's the way her fat body looks in that outfit. In those clothes, you. yeah. Right. So <laughs> that on it. <laughs> exactly like so you do mind that she's fat because you can't separate those two like it's a very stupid statement to make but I see it very often um and yeah. the other one is you know I see with a lot of fat people who say as long as I don't reach this size I'm fine you know they say as long as I don't reach above a size let's say 18 or something like that that's internalized fat phobia because how can you only be okay with your body up until a certain point mm-hmm. that's not body acceptance that's that's a different kind of restriction. But those yeah. are the two ways I would say, you know, I think if you're on this journey and you still have those thoughts, you're not ready. You're, you're not really ready to be on this journey yet because you, you still hate fat people. You still have to work to like dismantle those ideas. You have to. Yeah, you have to. And I have to. I mean, I, I, I work on it every day. I confront pieces of internalized fat phobia very often. You know, one thing I had to unlearn in 2020 was this idea of like, I'm fat, but I can do certain things. Like I used to work out a lot and I, I, you know, bench press, I go to the gym and I really enjoy lifting. I used to say I'm fat, but you know what? I, I, I love to work out. Who cares if I'm fat and I, I'm, I'm bed bound. I'm still a fucking human being. It doesn't matter if I'm, I don't have to qualify my fatness with something. Yeah. So that was, to, and I realized that's a term like fat phobia. Because I don't have to tell you I'm fat. I don't have to do, I'm not a fucking grinder monkey. I don't have to do tricks for you to prove that I'm fat, but also valuable. I'm a human being. That's enough. Yes. So we confront pieces of internalized fat phobia every day. And unless you're ready to do that, then you're really not interested in being body positive. You just want people to accept your fat body in particular. (laughs) And if that's the case, then I don't know. Go have fun with that. I don't fucking know. Go live your life. (laughs) I don't, I don't know some people, you know, when people tell yeah. me stuff like that and they don't, you're not ready to get on that part of the journey. They just want to be on the cute part where they get to wear cute shit and, you know, take thirst trap pictures. Yeah. I'm happy for you. <laughs> Go do that. You know, if you're, but you're not actually the doing the work, you're, you're not actually here. Yeah. Fat nigger on the internet. Just want to be fat nigger on the internet. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't. I don't care. I love that. If you want to be fat naked on the internet, go be fat naked on the internet. Listen, if you just don't call yourself body positive, then yeah. just say I am a fat naked person on the internet. <laughs> well, I, and I love yes. that for you. Do that. You I do you. It. Totally do you. I think something that is important to remember, a continuation of, of all of what you're saying, is that it's a process. Because even for you, you are a strong voice 
you know, for radical body acceptance, but it's a process for you too. You, you can't just wake up one day and be like, yep, I accept my body. Uh, right. It's just not, it's not logical, no. not logical, but if you are willing to be very uncomfortable and really confront some things about yourself that you might not like, then, um, then you will get on this journey and it's hard once you're on this journey, it's hard not to be like very radical and vocal about it because you'll start noticing the way that society treats people living in marginalized bodies. And it's hard not to become an advocate or to become a quote unquote voice because you start noticing it. It's hard to unnotice it, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. You, and once you start, once you start thinking like, wait a minute, this shit sucks. Um, then you kind of start really leaning heavily into using your voice in that way because you have to. I, you don't have to. You don't have to do anything. I, go, I, I always tell people, I don't have to do shit to be black and pay taxes and die, you know? But, but when you see you, it. Right. You can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. Once you yes. start seeing it, it really makes you feel like, wait a minute, this is not, once you realize you're not the problem, I should say. Once you realize, like, you are not the problem you start realizing what the problem is and it's very hard to just be like, okay, you know, unless of course, like I said, you just want to be fat and naked on the internet, which is great, <laughs> but we're here for two different reasons, obviously. And um, what, once you start noticing what's really going on, it's really hard to just be like, okay, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for talking to us. This has been a really great conversation and very enlightening. Very enlightening. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.